My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Good morning. And uh, let me just start by saying I literally have no idea how you're going to take me seriously for the next half hour in this amazing sweater dress. I have no idea what this is. Just tremendous. Um, can I just thank some of you guys who went all in on the ugly sweater? Can we clap for some of the folks right now? Because you look literally horrendous. But um, thank you for going all in. I absolutely love being a part of a church where we take the Bible and the Word of God very seriously and ourselves not that seriously at all. So um, really, really, really fun. Um, sometimes people come up to me and they ask, you know, Chris, how did you guys create like such a cool culture that people like love to get... You know, they have fun in, they get caught up in, and, I, and they said, you know, did you pay somebody to read some book? And it's like, no, we don't read books at City Light, but, um, <laughs> but, we, uh, but what we do do is we invite people to wear ugly sweaters, and we put taxidermied animals in the back every once in a while, and it gets pretty crazy. Um, I think we've got Sparky back there. It's pretty insane. Anyways, we got a raccoon and a couple things. It's going to be fun today. And uh, anyways, I am so pumped that you guys are here today. This is going to be a fun morning. We got the kids talking about joy. Um, this is talking about thunder. I don't have anything idea what that does with joy either, but that was, that was some of y'all need to disciple your kids. Anyways, um, <laughs> today we're going to be in our third week of our Advent series. Now that I've offended all of you, I don't know how to recover. Um, we're going to be in our third week of Advent. Advent is just the time that we pause to celebrate that Christ has come, that he's literally advented from heaven to earth, and we also pause to celebrate that, that Jesus is also going to advent again and come again. And so traditionally the church celebrates four things during Advent. We celebrate hope, love, joy, and peace, and those are the themes that really surround Christ's coming. And uh, today, like it's been said, we're going to look at joy. And uh, here's what I know about joy. Everybody in this room wants more joy. Nobody dreams of being the person who's a giant joy kill, right? You don't want to be that person. All of us want to have joy. You're young, you want joy. You're old, you want joy. Rich, you want joy. Poor, you want more joy. We are all unconditionally wired to pursue our greatest joy. It's what we want. The only question is, where are we pursuing joy? Where are we trying to cultivate joy? Where are we trying to assign joy? How are we trying to discover joy? Now, um, let me start with this. One of the fun things about the Christmas holiday season is that, um, I don't know if you guys have cable, but my wife loves these things called Hallmark, Christmas holiday movies. Anybody else's wife in that? The Golden State Warriors have won 24 straight games. I have not been able to watch one of them. (laughs) Not one. It's like, what are we doing tonight? You already know, okay? And so, oh, uh, so let me tell you how most of these stories go. There's usually a single woman in a small town. <laughs> Swear to you. Single girl in a small town, high school boyfriend passed her up, you know, now he's moved on, and yet there's this young stud that moves into town. She's got a failing coffee shop, he moves in, they fall in love, he rescues the coffee shop, end of story. Amen? <laughs> I just saved you 76 hours of holiday Christmas shows right there. All right? Now, I share that. I share that because every time we fall for the story, every time it's like, oh, I already know who's going to win this one, but we got to watch. You know, it's like we know, but we got to watch. 
And really the message behind that story though is what's gonna, what, what's gonna give you the greatest joy is romance. What's gonna give you the greatest joy is when you find that hero that will love you and accept you will write nice things on Facebook about you and understand you and drink coffee with you and run through the snowflakes with you. That's, that's when you're going to find joy, right? Now, let me just confess, because it's easy to pick on my wife, but for me, I try to find joy in this thing called Zillow. Have you guys ever heard of Zillow? Don't do it. It's, uh, it's an app uh, that you have on your phone or a website, and it basically allows you to look at um, homes on the internet, and you can like scroll through houses and look at photos, and um, it doesn't give you joy. It literally sucks your joy because here's why: you start looking at homes that you think you afford, but you really can't afford them. You're like, you know what? I just maybe if I bump it a little bit, and we don't eat protein, then it's like, you know, start looking at these houses you ain't got no business looking at. And then um, I always think, you know, if I could just get a little bit more house, if I just had a little bit better neighborhood, if I had a little bit more yard, open floor plan, a bigger kitchen, all the, the kids would pretty much just potty train themselves. You know, I mean, it would just, my life would be filled with joy. All I got to do is upscale my life and I'll have joy. But it doesn't work like that. You know, kids, it's so fun because kids, you guys, what the world's going to try to tell you is that joy is going to be found under the Christmas tree this year. The iPad, the Xbox the basketball, the crayons. I don't know what you guys give your kids, but, but, but whatever you, you know, that's the message of Christmas to our kids is that you're going to find joy when you get all the cool stuff, right? You're going to get it when you receive. You're going to be the cool kid on the block with all the favorite toys. So one of the things that I'm learning though, is that we're all looking for joy. The question is, where are we looking for joy? And the problem with thinking about joy in that way of of thinking we're going to find joy in those things and in this bigger house or these nice things or this friend is that Jesus didn't have any of those things, but he had a perfect joy. You know, he didn't have the big house. He didn't live in the right neighborhood. It says that Jesus had a fullness of joy in John 17 and that he prayed that his joy would be in us. He wanted us to have the joy that was in him. Crazy thing is, is that Jesus literally said, foxes have holes, birds have air, or birds have air. They have air too. They have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. So homeless dude, died without a house and a big inheritance, didn't have a whole bunch. Material things he lacked, and yet he had joy. And then you look at his life, never got married. He was a bachelor, didn't find that special holiday guy, you know? That just wasn't his, well, that would have been really weird. Anyways, <laughs> I just... That was a jump in the story. We're going to let that go. We're going to open the Bible at some point. (laughs) I don't even know where to go with that. Thank you. Thank you for that. We need to ask this morning, what is joy? So let me start there. What is joy? How do we define joy? How do we pursue joy? City Light, here's my working definition of joy for us this morning. Joy is the soul's delight in God. Joy is an inner satisfaction that we get when we behold God. When I say joy, what I don't mean is happiness. We can have this definition that joy is happiness, but happiness is always going to be rooted in our circumstances and our stuff. But God gives you more than that. He gives you a joy that is rooted on the inside, that is tied to his spirit and his work and what he has to say about you. And that's good news. 
Because happiness is tied to our circumstances, and if you've walked through life, you understand your circumstances are always going to change. One minute, you're going to be exuberant with happiness, and the next minute, you're going to be discouraged. If that's where you're trying to find what you're looking for, it's not going to end well. And yet, God has said, I will give you a joy that has to do with what I'm going to do on the inside. So this morning, what I want us to do is realize that, um, that we have a sense of joy here. Can I just make an observation about City Light? I love you guys. You guys are a joyful church. You guys like wear weird sweaters, take pictures with weird animals. You laugh. We have fun. We dance. We celebrate. We're happy. We're outgoing. We high five. We're warm. It's a joyful church. We got a joyful church family. And yet it's not a superficial thing, City Light. What we have here is the Spirit of God has welled up joy in our church family and made us a people glad in Him. And I celebrate that. Now, that's partly true on Sunday mornings, but can we keep it very real? Because by Thursday, some of that joy just starts to leak. Amen? You got kids trying to climb Christmas trees. I got a little one-year-old trying to eat a light bulb on the floor. I mean, it's just like, I don't know how to have joy in this, you know? It's just chaotic and crazy and a hot mess, and you're just stressed out and anxious. And by Thursday afternoon... Everything that happened on Sunday has left the building of my soul. And, uh, and so this morning, as we open up our Bibles, I just want to say, let's take a look at how the Word of God helps us root our joy in Jesus. Let's be a people whose joy is increasing as we behold Jesus. So open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6. I have two points this morning. The first one is that we're going to rejoice in what Jesus has given to us. We need to look at what Jesus has given to us. We need to inventory what Jesus has given to us. If our joy is going to be rooted in being satisfied in God, then we need to understand God and what he's given to us. Second, we can rejoice in what Jesus is doing in us, what Jesus is doing in us. So first, let's read verses uh, 3 through 6, 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's begin to build out how Jesus has given much to us. This is what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. What Peter is going to say is, listen, church, There's a reason to have joy. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a theme that we pull out for the holidays. There's a reason the people of God get to have joy. And it's going to start by us looking back at what Christ has done. And then our joy is going to be rooted in what Christ has promised to do. So let me show you verse 3. Let's hone in on this first. It says, God has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. To be born again just simply means to be made spiritually alive. It means to move from spiritual death to a spiritual new life. And City Light, this is an amazing gift of God. You came into this world physically alive, but Jesus has brought you to life through the power of the gospel and through his Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus in John 3. You guys remember the conversation? He's trying to figure out, Jesus, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him, he says, no one comes into the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And the spirit of God has to bring us to life. And when the spirit of God brings you to life, he puts his spirit in you. And what does his spirit produce in you? A joy. Jesus has made you alive. Christian, if you're lacking joy this season, I would invite you to take an inventory of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Has he made you alive? Has he forgiven you? 
Has he given you his righteousness? Has he justified you by his sacrifice and obedience? When did he break into your story and make you alive? Would you celebrate that? Jesus was talking to the disciples in the Gospels, and they came back, and they were all excited about themselves. They're like, Jesus, I got to tell you how awesome I am. Let me just tell you how I cast out demons and healed people in your name. And Jesus doesn't throw a party for him. What does he do? He said, that's exciting. You got to see God do some cool stuff through you. But listen, never stop rejoicing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He invites the early disciples to say, take inventory. The greatest gift is not you get to do ministry. The greatest gift is that Jesus Christ has had a ministry to you. He's made you alive. You've been born again. There's something that's changed. You're not just a physical being. There's a living spirit of Jesus Christ in you. And who, who says the hero of this? God has caused it to be. It didn't happen when you started going to church and when you cleaned up your life and you stopped doing that thing and you started doing this thing. The Holy Spirit called you, the Holy Spirit saved you, and the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's amazing. Jesus is the hero. So we look back at what Christ has done. And then he says in verse 3, that we've been born again into this living hope, a living hope. Now, Christians, we get to be people who, who have a hope that the world can't match. You know, if you put your hope in your circumstances, your circumstances change, you lose your hope. You put your hope in a political party, your political party doesn't win, what happens? Your hope is crushed. You put your hope in a team, they don't win, you lose your hope. You put your hope in Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross but rose from the grave and walked out of his own tomb, the one who is ruling and reigning for all of eternity, sitting at the right hand of the Father even now, your hope is eternal. Your hope is unfading. Your hope can't be taken. Your hope isn't going to be diminished with changing circumstances. You have a living hope, Christians. And it's not just a hope of saying, yes, I hope in the fact that Jesus was raised from the grave and so I get to have hope that he will raise me. We have a hope in this inheritance that he's promised to us. In verse 4, he starts talking about this spiritual inheritance that the people of God will receive. And I love this because one of the honors of becoming a Christian is that when we're born again, we become children of God, and children of God become heirs, and heirs get an inheritance that they haven't earned. It's all based on our birthright towards the Father. And what he says in verse 5 is, if you notice this, he says that God is guarding your spiritual inheritance in heaven. And I love that. We would read over that now and say, okay, that's cool. Why does my inheritance need a bodyguard, you know? But these Christians 2,000 years ago, they had the hope in an earthly inheritance and it probably had been taken from them. These are Christians in Rome being persecuted. Their family, primarily Jewish, they became Christians. They were on the outside looking in. They no longer had the earthly inheritance that they probably thought they would have. These Christians realized what so many of us realize is that inheritance on this side of eternity is never really secure. You know, your parents, they might get excited and go to the boats. You thought you were going to be balling. They just want to freak up at a Maristar. You know, I don't know. But you just think, okay, my inheritance is secure. What happens if you pass away? What happens if you don't get it? What happens if you get swindled out of it? It's not really secure. But God's saying it's not so with your internal inheritance. Your heavenly Father is guarding it in heaven for you. City Light, verse 6, let's look at it real quickly. He says at the very beginning, he says, in this rejoice. He's basically tying everything that he's built out in this passage, this, this kind of buffet of blessing that is true of you. And he's saying, in this rejoice. He's saying, we can't just be a people who, who theologically believe these things and understand these things. He's saying, when you get these truths, it should stir up an affection for Christ. 
We should be a rejoicing people, a joy-saturated people. And so, Christian, what we need to do to root ourselves in the joy of the gospel is, is look back. Look back at how he saved you and forgiven you and adopted you and loved you and pursued you and been so patient with you, how he's healed you and spoken to you, how he's provided for you. Would you look back and take inventory at Christ has done to, to make you alive and allow you to be born again by faith in Christ? He's done a great work in your life. Never get over that. And then he says, would you look forward to the promises? Would you look forward to the internal inheritance that you have? Would you look forward to the day when you will be with Christ and there will be no jails and there will be no hospitals and there will be no sickness and there will be no crime and there will be no terrorism and there will be no sick kids? There will be none of the stuff that breaks our heart. When we get to see heaven as it is and experience the presence of God, I don't know what this inheritance he's talking about. I have no idea. I looked it up, read some books, got confused, don't know. You know what? But I know if I get inheritance on top of being around Jesus, that's all extra. <laughs> I, get, I get excited about being in heaven because Jesus is there. If I get inheritance, great. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but whatever. We're going to figure it out. Jesus knows. I want to say, Christians, if we're struggling with joy, would we be a people that look back, take inventory, and look forward at what Christ has done? You know, I think sometimes this whole forward thinking about what Christ is yet to come and do is hard for us because we're really comfortable. And yet if you get around people around the world... Their eye is not in the present, their eye is in eternally. Because they're just already looking forward to and longing to this eternal inheritance that they're going to get. So City Light, I always want us to be a church that is filled with joy. But I think our joy isn't going to come in our circumstances, in our cute Christmas cards, and our fun holiday movies. I think our joy has to be rooted in a satisfaction in the gospel, in a delighting in God. City Light, can I just ask you, are you experiencing joy? Which friends tell you, yeah, this person got a ton of joy. Which is your mark, is your life marked with joy? Are you satisfied in God? Are you experiencing the joy of the gospel? City Light, would we always be a church rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and experiencing the joy that his spirit puts in our hearts? Point one is we rejoice in what Jesus has given to us. Next, I want to show us that we rejoice in what God is doing in us and what God is doing in us. And um, one of the cool things about the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just kind of let us stay the same people, right? He begins to come into our hearts, and what's he do? He starts to change us. He starts to transform us. He starts to make us new. This is really good news, because for me, I want to be different. I want Jesus to be shaping me into more of his likeness. I want to think more like Christ. I want to look more like Christ. I want to be more generous. I want to be more loving. I want to be more patient. I want to be more faithful to the things of God. I think most of us in this room would say, I want that too, right? I want to be transformed. I want to look more like Christ. There's some things in my life I want Jesus to undo. We might agree with that, but the interesting thing about the Bible is that um, he says transformation happens through trials. He says transformation, the way that God works in your life, isn't just by taking you out of pain, but it's by allowing you to experience pain so that the roots of your faith get pressed down further. That's not going to be a bestseller, okay? gospel he talks in jesus in the gospel he talks about pruning the fruitful plant (laughs) seems backwards but that's what he does and in this text in first peter what he's going to talk about is refining the people of god so let me build this out let's read verses six and seven together chapter one first peter in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary 
you've been grieved by various trials, so that he so that he tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And what's amazing is just in a few verses, in verse 8, he's going to say this little local church that's experiencing trials of various kinds is also rejoicing with joy. Which, by the way, how does that work? Have you ever tried to do the math on that? You're suffering, and yet you're joyful. You're frustrated, and yet you're happy in Christ. How do those two things coexist? How does joy overwhelm our trials? Well, Peter's going to help us resolve this tension in these verses by reminding us a few things, and let me point out two of them. First, that trials are temporary. Notice in verse 6, he says, Though for a little while, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Christians, isn't it true? When you are in pain, it just feels like it's never going to end, right? I just remember like the last five minutes of high school. You remember the day? It's like, Lord, first seven hours flew by. I was excited. Now I just can't stop looking at the clock. It feels like it's an hour and a half. You know, if this bell doesn't ring, I'm about to jump out this window. I mean, it's just like forever. It seems like it lasts forever. And when you're in it, it just, it just seems like it's never going to come to an end. But what Peter is trying to do is saying, hey, listen, in light of eternity, your momentary suffering is but just for a moment. And isn't it true we can look back at our lives and we can start to say, yeah, I remember in high school when I went through that thing and it was hard and it was real and it was painful, but it was for but a moment. And then we got to college or that age group of young adults. We said, yeah, there was that thing and it was hard and it was frustrating, but God brought me through it. And now even in this season, I'm in something and I can have confidence that this trial won't last forever. It is but for a moment. It's kind of like my son. He's three years old. He likes to go outside, run around, hang out with kids. And, um, and so he, he sometimes falls. Uh, I don't know why. It's just a thing. But he falls, skins his knee. And what does he do? You ever see a kid fall, skin his knee? He looks over at you. He looks at his knee. He freaks out. He starts crying. He runs into your arms. It's like, we got to go to the ER right now. It's very serious. You know, the boo-boo's like this big. Oh my gosh, I broke my leg. No, you didn't. It's going to be okay, you know? And, uh, and then it's just like a really big deal for about 60 seconds. And then the neighborhood kids start chasing a cat. And what does he do? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You know, it's like, what? It was a big, big deal. It was a huge deal. But it's just like that in our lives. Trials last but for a moment. They're momentary. We need to keep perspective on those things. Next in verse, he starts talking about how trials are purposeful. In the next couple verses, he starts comparing our faith to gold. And if you know much about gold, gold doesn't start shiny and clean. It starts as really a dirty rock filled with impurities. And the only way to make gold into something shiny and valuable and worth something is by refining it, putting it through fire, beating on it, applying heat to it. And that's what God does to our faith. Isn't that awesome? What a blessing. Praise God. Let's bring the band up, you know. Who's ready to get refined today, you know? I like Christmas cookies and milk. I don't know if I like being refined, you know? But the helpful thing in this verse is he's trying to remind the people of God. If you're in a trial, there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to it, right? How many of us can look back at our lives and say some of the most painful, hard seasons of our lives have also been some of the most spiritually fruitful times? That God has been more real in those moments to us than he is in times of prosperity and ease. Isn't it true? We'd like to think that God just teaches us in this linear way that if we just memorize the right stuff, take the right classes, 
take the right steps in life, that that's how we're going to grow. But it's not like that. Oftentimes, there has to be a crisis of faith where we get on our knees and understand how desperate and dependent we are on him. And that's when God starts to break us and change us and mold us and shape us and do something new in us. You know, when I work out, the hardest part of working out, and I do work out, by the way, you can tell. Um, anyways, we work out. Um, but the, the, when I work out, the hardest part of your workout is the very end. And you always have to make this decision if you're going to cut your workout, cut your workout short and just kind of return back to normalcy and get back to comfortable, or if you're going to push yourself to the end of the workout. If you push yourself to the end of the workout, what happens? You get stronger, you're going to be sore, but that's the best part of your workout, right? Because that's when stuff is being real built and broken down so that it can be rebuilt. It's amazing. What I want to say to the Christians in this room is don't waste the workout. Don't waste the pain. When you're in a trial, which some of you guys are right now, would you be steadfast? Would you be enduring? Would you press in? Would you lean into God? Would you not bail out too early? Would you, would you experience the goodness of Jesus Christ even though your circumstances are challenging? Let me take this out of theory and bring it into reality. Um, I want to celebrate a story. It's my friends Katie and Duffy, and uh, I asked them for permission to share their story. It's not an easy story to share, but um, it's a story um, in that I have been so encouraged by the way that they have walked with Jesus Christ through a real storm. So Katie and Duffy, um, their story goes like this. They, they're part of our church, part of my wife and I's city group. And uh, they were one of the first members of City Light. They were here when we were back in the chapel. They were one of the first couples to join our city group. So we've been walking with them for about three years. And uh, their story is this. Duffy and Katie met in college. Um, Duffy's one of the most frustrating people you've ever known because he's like 6'5", good-looking, and played college football and basketball. You know those people. You kind of hate them, but you kind of love them. You know what I mean? Kind of a little bit upset about how he got all the good genes. Anyways, I'll talk about it later. So he meets Katie. They fall in love. They're both loving Christ. They get married right out of college. And, and Katie's desire has just been to be a mom. She wants to be a mom and a wife. And so early on into their marriage, they, they start trying to have kids. And months go by. And more months go by. And the years start going. One year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years go by. They've watched all their friends and family start having kids. They've celebrated with them, and they've prayed hard. They take medical tests to see if there's something wrong. Nothing's wrong. They just can't get pregnant. So they start pursuing the adoption process. They start talking to Chris and I about it and our city group about it, and we pray and we rejoice because a woman in Pennsylvania selects them uh, to, to raise their little girl. And so this woman is pregnant with a little girl, and, uh, and so they were getting, like, little photos and tux updates. You know how they take pictures of baby in there and stuff. So we're all excited. And, um, and so one night, Katie and Duffy get the phone call. The, the mom went into labor, and so they pack in their car and drive 20 straight hours to Pennsylvania with a sense of anticipation, and they can't wait to meet this little baby girl. So they meet this little girl. They hold her. They see her eyes and her beautiful face. They connect with her and meet the birth mom. They even name her and then take her home that night and get ready to come home the next day. But the mom, the mom decides to change her mind and that she wants her little girl. And so the next day, the birth mom comes over to the hotel to pick up her little girl. And Katie and Duffy hand the baby back to this family. And in that moment, the spirit of God is near to them. I don't understand how they did it. They pulled that mother's hand aside gave her the baby, and then just asked if she could pray for him. And they prayed for this little girl, and they prayed for this mom, and they spoke blessing into their life, 
Instead of being bitter and angry, they blessed. There was a spirit of joy even in the midst of a great trial. And Katie and Duffy came back to our city group. And they started walking. They kept walking with Jesus, and they weren't always happy. They had lots of questions. They wrestled with some stuff. But I tell you that story because Katie and Duffy have modeled to me what it looks like to lean into Jesus Christ when stuff isn't awesome. A few weeks later, a few months later, Katie and Duffy show up to our city group. We've been praying with them, praying for them. And uh, they share with our city group that uh, Katie is pregnant and uh, that their little baby Davis is due in April 2016. And uh, not only that, but uh, they've continued down the adoption road and they're They've got another baby coming. And so they're going to go from zero to two in about a two-month period. The Lord is answering their prayers all at once. And, uh, and um, what's super fun is that Katie and Duffy are in our church right now. They're sitting over here. Can we clap for them right now and say thank you? <clears throat> now, we love you guys. And... You know, he uses the word genuineness of your faith in this text. How you know you're the real deal? You walk through some fire, and you still press into Jesus Christ. You're the real deal. Katie and Duffy, you're the real deal. Let me get back to this text. 1 Peter chapter 1, 8 and 9. God's going to talk about some stuff that he's going to continue to do in you. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Everything that he just mentioned there is something that God is doing in you. You know, when you come to know Christ, you don't feel less, you feel more. There's a new affection and a new desire and a new heart love for Jesus Christ. Look at the first thing he says. He says, though you have never seen Jesus, you love Jesus Christ. And this is a miracle of the gospel because you came into this world not loving Jesus. You came into this world hostile to him. You came into this world bent on loving yourself. And yet God has softened your heart and he's given you a love for Jesus. It's weird. I'm a 32-year-old man. I love a dude named Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago who was Jewish and died on a cross. It's weird. I get it. I can't explain it, but I love him. And I obey him, and I seek him, and there's a heart affection for him. It's an amazing work of the gospel. Would you rejoice? If you've got a heart affection for Jesus Christ, would you celebrate that? Because that wasn't there before the Spirit of God invaded your heart and gave you a new heart and a new spirit. Next he says, you've never seen Jesus, and yet you believe in Jesus. You know, one of the the fun verses in the Bible is he says this, Godliness is foolishness to those who don't believe. Have you ever tried to explain the gospel to somebody? It sounds crazy. So you're telling me this dude, Jesus, who created the world, stepped out of heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned, not one time, was born of a virgin, explained that, then dies on a cross, conquers the grave, rolls out the rock of his own tomb. He's now in heaven, promised to take us there. Then one day he's coming on a big white horse to come back and undo every evil. Yes, that's exactly what I believe. (laughs) Really? How is that? How does God help us to see the truth of that? 
How does God help us to believe that? You know, we celebrate that fact because it's foolishness to those who the Spirit of God have not enlightened to the truth of the gospel. I celebrate the fact that I believe the gospel, that I've been made right in the gospel, that the gospel has helped me think rightly about God. He hasn't just helped me feel the right way towards God. He's helped me to think rightly about God. You now believe the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, it doesn't just allow you to experience Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It allows you to believe that his ways are still better than your ways. When you believe Jesus, you start to believe that his ways of sexuality are better than your ways of sexuality that his ways of finance are better than your personal ways of finance, that his ways of relationship and marriage and parenting are better than all of the ways that you have. And so when you believe the gospel, it starts to invade every area of your life. Celebrate that. Lastly, he says, Peter says, we rejoice. We rejoice. We have a joy that is inexpressible. We've got a joy that's present in our life. And by the way, when the Bible says the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's living in you is inexpressible. As a preacher, you go, okay, that's awesome. How do I talk about it? How are you going to talk about an inexpressible joy? How do you describe that? Where do you take that? But isn't it true that when you see a sunset or you hear your child giggle or you embrace your wife or you root yourself in the gospel and Jesus is near to you, whatever those things are that trigger your joy, how do you explain that to somebody? How do you express that in its fullness? How do you take people into that? Sometimes words just won't do. And City Light, I, I, I think that one of the ways that Joyce does start to express itself throughout the Bible is through the physical expression of worship. You know, David was filled with joy. He was dancing in the streets. Kids clap for joy. We sing for joy. We rejoice in joy. We worship in joy. That's what it is when we sing. It's saying, I literally can't, ex- I can't express this by just talking about God. I got to sing to him. I got to worship him. It, it, it's built up a joy in me that's it's affected my emotions and I got to go to him. It's an ex- inexpressible joy that's in us. And that is one of the great gifts of God doing in you. Now, I'm going to end with this. I want to let you guys know that um, City Light, here's my confession. I need Jesus Christ to give me joy. I need Jesus to give me joy on an ongoing way. And you guys might look at my personality. I'm extroverted. I love to high five. I'm always ready to like whip and nay nay and get down and do some silly stuff and take my selfie stick and take a photo and get wild. I love people and I think that you love me even if you don't. I'm just excited, okay? I'm pumped. I like wake up in the morning fired up. You know, it's just what it is. And I'm more happy than most of you. I'm not even gonna lie about it, okay? You know, and... Um, I've had wrestle with God because my face, my face's default mode is this. Just like, eh, I smile all the time. And I want to have like a Rambo look that's like, I wish you would say something, you know, but I, I don't have it. It doesn't come very naturally. And it gets me in trouble because people are like, here's my sin and my hurt. And I'm like, uh-huh, tell me more. And I'm like, what, what is my face doing? Stop, you know, you know, but it is what it is. And yet, man, my personality type and my bent and my enthusiasm and all, it's not enough. When life feels overwhelming and it presses in and you get worried and you get anxious and I get discontent, it's not enough. I start doing stuff out of I got to instead of I get to because Jesus Christ has done a great work in my life. You know, in those moments, um, what I don't need is a bigger house or some, some more space, or another workout, or a, a glass of coffee. Those things are all helpful. They're common graces. But, but what I really need is I need an interaction with the divine. 
I need the encounter of Jesus Christ in my soul. I need him to refresh me with his word and his presence. I need Jesus in an ongoing way. As your pastor, I can wear a mask and I can smile, but I cannot be delighting in Jesus Christ unless I'm having regular encounters with the divine. So City Light, here's what I want to end today with. I want us to be a church this season unconditionally committed to pursuing our highest joy. This season, do not settle for fun Christmas parties and cool Christmas cookies and all of the excitement and the busyness that comes with parties and events and chaos and family get-togethers. All of those things are great. Enjoy all those things. They are a blessing. But we would pursue our highest joy as we encounter the person and work of Jesus Christ. Would we take inventory of all that Jesus has done for us in the past, all that Jesus has done for us and promised to us? Would we take inventory of all that Jesus is doing in us? And would we be a church unconditionally committed to pursuing the joy of Jesus Christ? Let me pray. So Lord, I want to thank you that Jesus, you stepped out of heaven and came to earth to bring joy to the world. You gave us a foretaste of the the kingdom of God as you've placed your Holy Spirit in us and allowed us to experience a joy that we will experience in greater ways when we see you in eternity. Thank you for the glimmers and glimpses of joy that you give us in our life. We want to pray, God, would this church be a church where your Holy Spirit is manifesting itself in a spirit of joy? God, if there's things in our life that are keeping us from joy, sin, rebellion, anger, discontentment. Oh God, would you take those things from us forcefully? And Lord God, would you restore our joy today? Would you satisfy our souls, not in the things of this world, in our circumstances, in our stuff, but you satisfy our souls in you, God, that our hearts would be made happy as we behold the good news of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Amen.